0: A bartender is the aristocrat of the working class. He can make all kinds of moves if he's smart. There are investors out there. There are angels. There are suckers. You can stand in this bar and you can be struck by lightning. I've seen it happen.
1: Welcome to the Rewire Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language.
0: I met
2: this bartender who makes three to $400 a day. A day? And he didn't have any of
1: the talent of you guys. Today, as part of our Bargain Bin series, we're going to be discussing Cocktail. Starring Tom Cruise, Brian Brown, and Elizabeth Hugh. Directed by Roger Donaldson.
2: Did
1: you ever
3: have the feeling that you might meet somebody? You
1: know,
3: when you walk into some place with like... something. Lover Syndrome? Hmm. No. <laughs> no. I had a premonition that I was gonna meet somebody when
1: I came down here. Really? Mm-hmm. You still got time, you know. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. You wait till you've given them crabs, then you'll know hatred. It's Gally and <laughs>
4: <laughs> You bitch. Why didn't you just say Roman Coke?
5: It's Devlin in London. (laughs) I'm spooked. This is Matt in South Korea.
6: I'm sorry for yourself, Flanagan. It's Patrick from London.
1: Hello, welcome back, guys. Um, Right, this is a little bit strange. Uh, We are doing an impromptu bargain bin film. But before I ask Devlin how this film managed to find its way onto our schedule, I want to say that I have actually sustained a serious neck injury uh, after my first viewing, uh, where I got whiplash. Uh, yeah, so there we go, from the heavy handbrake turns within the plot of the film we're going to discuss, which is Cocktail. So Devlin, why are we discussing Cocktail?
4: Well, we are discussing Cocktail because I had I had never seen this film, and it is obviously a very famous film. And I'd sort of convinced myself that it was just, just some 80s nonsense that people quite liked, and just sort of filed it away And why would I ever watch this? And it happened to be on TV, and... Well, I was convinced that I'd come into it about at least a third of the way through the plot. But having rewatched it last night for the first time from the start, it turns out I had missed all of about two and a half minutes, which just suggests how how bafflingly this plot unfolds. But yeah, I watched this film and it was the first time in in a while that I'd watched a film that was so weird and so kind of stupid in its very core that I felt like I I needed to tell someone else. I called you the next day for a long time. I was traversing London and I was about to get on a train and I was talking to you and then the train was going to go through a tunnel so I I made you sit and wait until I got out of the tunnel so that I could continue yelling about this film. And I thought, well, why not rope two more people into this?
6: (laughs) Well, I I, it's a ring galley last night after I watched it for the first time. I rang Just, you, but you didn't bloody pick up because I needed. I'm, a,
4: to I'm afraid I was I was on a family Zoom quiz, so I was unavailable. That's
6: fair. You got away with it.
4: Yeah. How about you, Matt? Have you seen this before? I'd seen bits and pieces on
5: TV over the years, starting as a teenager at some point, and I was hoping it was going to get a bit steamy. You know, back then it, got, it felt like one of those <laughs> films, but I I never got through it all. Uh, I was a big Top Gun fan and I was aware that that girls liked Tom Cruise and were impressed with him making (laughs) drinks well or something. Uh, due, and due to that, I'd sort of lumped it in with the female favorites at the time, which were like dirty dancing and grease. And Mm. I pushed it to the furthest reaches of my consciousness. It wasn't until I researched the podcast that I saw cocktail in full like two and a half times so thank you devlin
4: you're welcome you know um this this thing of it being like you know a a chick flick staple as reductive of the point as that is i think it actually does does hold up to scrutiny because um uh not to sell anyone out but my uh my my girlfriend was on a conference call with a a bunch of her colleagues and and one of her colleagues an older woman in the team was talking about they're all talking about films and I was listening in because I always listen in when people talk about films, because I always find it really funny when people's favorite film ever is something kind of really inane or baffling or just mm. that you would never have thought of. Like when I found out that her dad's favorite film of all time is Meet Joe Black.
2: Wow. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, okay.
4: And I love that because like, why not? <laughs> why not Meet Joe Black? He really gets messed up by all those cars he gets run over by. <laughs> um, but uh, And so a uh, colleague was talking about, you know, the film. She's like, oh, I just like chick flicks, you know. And then she said those two in a row, Dirty Dancing, Cocktail. And uh, at that point, I hadn't seen it. And now I have. And now I'm really confused.
1: Romantic comedy. yeah. It, well, listen, we'll get into it in the functions, <laughs> But all I will say is like Patrick and... Um, and I, Matt, I was aware of it, but what really surprised me about this is I had this down as early cruise when I when we watched when I watched it, I couldn't believe that this was two years after Top Gun. I was like, mm. I thought that mm. this would have been. He's already risky. in
4: like megastar role.
1: Yeah, I thought this was like. Was ris- I thought it was risky business. Itself, yeah. yeah, I thought it was risky business. Cocktail, color of money. Top Gun. I don't know why. I just had it in that in that order and I got it very wrong. But yeah, this is probably Phase 1 Tom Cruise and this is the la- this is the last of the the kind of it's frivolous cruise. Yeah, I think because the same year does Rain Man.
4: Uh, I would have been after this, maybe about two years after.
6: I kept waiting for Paul Newman to turn up in this film. I thought I was watching The yeah. Color of
4: Money. <laughs> I <laughs> wish I was watching The Color of Money. You had a te- you had a terrible time waiting for a good film to start.
6: <laughs> and then I realised that the only thing I knew about Cocktail really was an image of Tom Cruise smiling. Shaking a cocktail. But also, do do you guys watch or familiar with Adam Buxton's, uh, comedy?
2: Yeah. Yes. No. Right.
6: I went to see uh, a live show that he did years ago at Leicester Comedy Festival called Bug and mm. he showed this video and he, I, I sent it to Gally last night and it's Tom Cruise gets a letter <laughs> from his Australian cousin where he's <laughs> done oh, a voiceover. Yeah. He's done a voiceover and he's uh, superimposed a letter for when Tom Cruise is <laughs> crying at Doug's letter. It fucking well funny. So that was, that's my knowledge of cocktail until last night.
5: Well, at, at the time, I, I knew him from Top Gun mostly, but also Days of Thunder. And Rain Man was the same year as Cocktail 88. Uh, and I think I'd maybe seen Interview with the Vampire, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I was yet to see his early early stuff like Risky Business and All the Right Moves and The Outsiders I hadn't seen. Um, and I, I think I searched out Color of Money later because of Scorsese rather than Cruise.
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely Scorsese. Him. Uh, let me just qualify actually what I said about the 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 end of the phase one cruise. I guess what I mean is, he he then starts to do one for one for them and one for him. You know, he starts to actually try and take well, on yeah. more challenging roles. After, after, so, so this right. is around the
4: same time as Rayman, and then the year after, he's straight into Born on the Fourth of July, and mm-hmm. you know all the all the serious actor yelling that he does in it.
6: And a great accent and far and away that he (sighs) practises Irish in this one. So I can see where (laughs) it came from.
1: (laughs) There's enough Irish accents in Darby Patrick, We'll keep it to a minimum in this one uh, as best as we can anyway. Or Flanagan's. Anyway, um, well, guys, I mean, I thought me trying to do LA Confidential was tough. But um, would you like some version of a plot summary for, for Cocktail?
6: Yes, please. Please do.
1: Intent on making a million, meet ex-military man, Brian Flanagan, played by Tom Cruise, who naively believes if he applies for jobs in the Big Apple, that his positive outlook will land him the big role. However, after several knockbacks, he waits for his big break while serving drinks at a New York City TGI's, where the character, question mark, where the charismatic, cynic, and veteran bartender, Doug Coughlin, played by Brian Brown, becomes the ambitious Brian's Sage Mentor. Their chemistry, combined with top-wankery flamboyant tricks behind the bar, will soon yield fame and money until they part ways over a chick. Now, as Flanagan struggles to raise money in Jamaica to open his dream bar someday, he falls in love with a striving waitress and budding artist, Jordan Mooney, played by Elizabeth Shue. But when his old mentor returns, he bets that Brian can't bag himself a rich chick like he has in the interim two years. So, is there a future for Brian and Jordan? Will they get cocktails and dreams? Or does everyone just suffer a huge hangover and need a red eye?
4: It's, uh, it's welcome, to it? Because the the IMDb plot synopsis for this is, a talented New York City bartender takes a job at a bar in Jamaica and falls in love.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Technically not wrong.
4: There are things that yeah, things can be like factually accurate and yet tonally ever so incorrect.
1: The original writer is also the screenwriter researching it. Brian Brown said that when he read the original script, that it was one of the best scripts he'd ever read. Now, obviously, Brian Brown is not uh, you know I know I know he's not he's not the biggest star in the world, so maybe it's it's also a sign of how many scripts and the quality of scripts he gets. But either way... But he read the he scripts says... for FX and FX2. That is oh, well. true. Oh well, he... <laughs> I can't believe that FX2 isn't the best script he's ever read. It's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so he says that. The original, uh, the writer, says that he had to make some compromises once Tom Cruise became interested. The studio then kiboshed the original story, which was far more cynical, far more downbeat. And you can feel the conflict within the within the film where it Mm -hmm. seems to be pulling from one side to another so i just before we get into how bonkers everything is i just felt like i needed to qualify that
4: this is this you're giving hayward gould a bit of an out here
1: not quite because i've got issues but um but yeah i feel like there's some mitigation went
6: through about 40 rewrites this one
4: that would that would make a lot of sense
6: and who's the studio is it disney
4: yeah, it's a touchstone. Touchstone. Which is probably why, Matt, you were very disappointed as a teenager that the that all you got was <laughs> a, a bit of side Five boob. <laughs> and,
5: yeah, the waterfall bit. Yeah. yeah, that was that was about it. But this Haywood Gould guy wrote the screenplay uh, for Rolling Thunder with Paul Schrader, yeah. which is one of Tarantino's favourites. I saw it out, but I wasn't super impressed with it. But that's the only time I've ever heard Haywood Gould's name.
4: I've also seen a mm. film of his called Fort Apache the Bronx, which mm. is, uh, oddly similar to Assault on Precinct 13, like a Paul Newman film, kind yeah, of okay. early eighties. It's not great.
1: Now I'm not going to, you know me with the old sandwiches, uh, that joke started Eating away. In things. the box galley. I know, I know, but what I will call, I'm, I may be giving away my hand slightly, but I actually think that we already have kind of, yeah. Uh, Uncle Pat. Really did do the best summary for this film. When Brian goes to meet him in the in the early scenes, he tells him that most things in life, good or bad, just kind of happen to you. I do <laughs> feel that that pretty much sums up everything that happens in this film because nothing feels set up, paid off, explained, yeah. uh, <laughs> organic. It's mental.
6: The start. I don't know where to start, Gally, Fuck this film. <laughs> I remember it being about twenty minutes in. And I, the thing that was pissing me off the most was, why haven't we seen him in an apartment yet? He just spends all this time at this fucking bar. He's studying at a bar, playing with a bottle. The pace of this film at the beginning is relentless. But oh, yeah. it's just a bonkers start. Why don't we see him at home? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going off on like the questions I've got written down and the frustrations I had when I was watching <laughs> it, But I couldn't fucking Dude. figure out what was going the, the opening scene, when he's driving in that car, and, and I was like... Of oh course, is Tom Cruise trying to be one of the lads. And, mm. uh, where have they got the siren from? They're military men, they wouldn't have that. Are they military police? They're not dressed military, but they're not police. Men. They pull down a fucking greyhound on the yeah. side of a, a fucking motorway, freeway, whatever, and board it without any questions or money. I don't, then he gets a fucking window seat! How's he getting a window seat on a full greyhound? I don't understand.
1: Uh, uh sorry, there we go. This is, there's my sandwiches. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll temper that, that sentiment, Patrick, slightly by saying that the film kind of sets up the, the objective or the goal in the first minute. I think one of his buddies does, says, yeah. make, make a million, make a million. And you're like, okay, so he's reading this book about how to turn your ideas into millions. Clear. Right. I fully understand this character, what he wants. And I don't know how he's going to get it, but I know what he wants. But the film just takes some real turns. You're right. (laughs) The the, the chasing the greyhound, it felt like the Wrigley's advert. I was like, what has this got to do with anything? I was trying (laughs) to, uh, I was trying to like think, is this a metaphor? Chasing the dream? No, it's just chasing the greyhound. Uh, It makes no sense. And then all of a sudden
6: he's holding a fucking baby and he says to that baby, when they see the skyline of New York, one day you and I are going to rule that town.
1: Oh, I think it's, uh, that that might be the, that might be the only setup to suggest that maybe he's got some paternal instincts and that's yeah. about it.
4: Um, this is like, this is what, 88, so this is a year after Michael J. Fox did something very similar, but far better in The Secrets of My Success, Oh because yeah. mm. that's the entire point of that film, which is like, you know, awkwardly mobile, uh, would-be yuppie from working class background, but that film is actually about that. Literally everything that happens relates back to that central thesis. This one, a little bit less linear.
1: Yeah, this film, (laughs) this film plays with some of those ideas and it's, and it's really quite lazy in the way that they just sprinkle it all in. There's a lot of scorn for 80s yuppies culture and we'll, we'll point them out as we go through the story, but it's
6: quite, it's quite, but it's quite um, interesting that you time this film as well, isn't it? Just to start off on, because it, 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 must have been shot before Black Monday in 1987. And it just doesn't have any correlation with, you know, what's going on in Wall Street. He keeps saying that the bar is where the money's at because they're in the most, the, the richest block in the world or whatever because it's Wall Street. But it's a shame in a way that it didn't come at a time for rewrite and contextualize with Black Monday. Um, I kept...
1: The conclusion to Brian Brown's character, I thought that they slightly inferred that, or maybe I was just reading between the lines, you know, what he was talking you about... You are, mate. This film, don't give this film that much credit.
4: But he does... Um, I mean, we're, we're jumping to the end of the film here, but he does right. actually say that, you know, he lost it all, right? Oh, come yeah, on. but he lost he's...
6: it over his own stupidity, not through...
1: Yeah, uh, external factors you know, not, like... Not through...
4: thing, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yeah, extrapolating on it and giving this film the biggest benefit, of a doubt, you possibly could... Maybe he's supposed to be representative of an entire class of people who just gambled away a bunch of money on their own arrogance. I think that's so true. I think, yeah, I did. I did yeah.
6: read it more that way. Good work, Hayward Gould. <laughs> <laughs> I did also see that the bottle, the five hundred pound bottle, dollar bottle of bourbon, was symbolic of, you know, using a some rich, you know, some uh, um, materialistic, expensive commodity which um... bought for money. Yeah, to end his own life. I did see symbolism
5: in that. I think a smashed bottle to the jugular is uh, appropriate for uh, <laughs> <any laughs> <Blair> bartender. <laughs>
4: <laughs> he tied the way he would have wanted.
1: I think we would be doing that scene a, a huge disservice if we didn't talk about everything that preceded it mm. because it comes out of absolutely mm-hmm. nowhere, that that basically horror scene. Um, but one of, the, one of the things, one of the other parallels I had, Devlin, you said the secrets of uh, my success. The other one that felt really obvious was was Wall Street, right? I mean, that was the mm. other one that kind of felt like, okay, so this is Tom Cruise, maybe he read in this script that this is my chance to do that type of film. And I also wonder as well, you know, we think Top Gun, and, and yes, he's playing a quote-unquote normal person, I guess, but he is a awesome fighter pilot, which is somewhat, you know, superheroish, unattainable. He's not normal, and I wonder if he just felt like he wanted to do something where he was like, one, like like Patrick said, one of the lads, a blue collar guy. And and I will say this: the first thirty minutes. Is excruciating because he is like an alien amongst us. <laughs> but he can't, he can't play normal. He, I'm not, I'm not knocking him as an actor, but he <laughs> cannot do normal. No.
6: It, well, this is where my theory comes in, uh, Gally. That um so I spoke to Galley about this. Uh, I spoke to Melissa about this. Okay, Devlin, uh, Matt, have you seen the film Bolt, the, the animation?
5: No, I'm aware uh, of it, but I haven't. No. Seen it.
6: So the pre- <laughs> the premise of the film is that this dog is a superstar actor dog but he doesn't mm. realize that things aren't real. So when uh, when he his character the dog's character in progress has laser vision to blow up things and that dog thinks he can actually do it. So when he's not working <laughs> on a set he thinks he can do these things. Uh, my theory is that Tom Cruise is akin to Bolt. <laughs> that he, he doesn't really understand the real world because everything's made around him and he's so good. And, like, so <laughs> he's... Dre- so, yeah. like, that, that's my kind of theory. And the, only w- with this film in particular, um, when I'm watching him, like you said, Gally, it, it, it's just... I don't... He's just so unnatural and unbelievable mm. and it's not a real... People don't talk that way. People don't act that way. People don't... It, he's... He is living in this fancy world, trying to portray this normal person. It's not his fault. It's the dog. He just he doesn't know that he's not. It's not real.
5: Been under Hollywood's wing for for a lot of his youth as well. I know he's not a child actor necessarily, but um, if you add that into the equation, and then you know, if you think about his uh, Scientology history too, there's a very famous video on YouTube where that they leaked from the Scientology thing where he's talking about...
4: Um, oh, he's got his medals on.
5: Uh, yeah, it's, it's got the Mission Impossible music in the background and he's kind of delivering this monologue. <laughs> and there's a lot of jump cuts where you feel like they've edited certain things out. Um, but it, it's very interesting to look at. And he, he's fully in, you know, he fully believes that. And I think if, if he can be talked into that, he can be talked into making this film as well. That's another... That's another angle, but. Oh, sorry. Do you
4: guys remember um, the Armando Iannucci uh, show? uh, Armando Iannucci's Time Trumpet. It was a, um, it was like a a fake documentary, like a kind of brass eye style fake documentary, but set in a, in a near future, looking back on, on our own time as if it was a retrospective documentary. And he would have people cast as like modern day celebrities as older men. (laughs) And his version of Tom Cruise was just a little old guy sat in a chair staring directly at the interviewer without blinking in saying i've read every book ever written
2: test me <laughs> and
4: if I was the most accurate reflection of tom cruise that's a good one going back to the the women
5: and the idea of it being a chick flick um you feel like a lot of the things he's doing are, uh specifically for the female audience that he's managed to garner you know, and you were talking about the levels of Cruise as well, and you can kind of see the eras of Cruz, like based on his teeth, I find, and some of yeah. his cosmetic surgeries. <laughs> if you look at the outsiders and, uh, in, in particular, I think he's still, he's still got his kind of real gnashes, and then mm. he gets like a jaw and a nose uh, surgery at some point as well he's kind of evolving before your eyes when you watch these mm-hmm. these films in order um but yeah I think this one um he's almost like a mannequin or a doll like to be looked at and it, it's it feels like it was demanded from a female fan base I don't really know the kind of guys that would be impressed by this I mean that the, the flair bartender thing I think we're gonna get into but um there there's a certain kind of man that would be impressed by this film but I think it's mostly for the female. A swooning is. fan base and it still happens when he goes on talk shows i don't think women of a certain age now like listen to what he's saying necessarily they just just look at him and they, mm. they scream and they and they clap and they swoon uh i think the last time he was on graham norton it was quite alarming you know there was a lot of just kind of silence while while people adored him and uh, <laughs> no uh you know his his anecdotes and things aren't necessarily great but the, the women are just, uh, entranced by him still, I think. I think he got under their skin at a certain age and it's still, still present, you know.
6: Well, this, this is a very smiley performance, isn't it, Matt? And I think, I think it was quite a poster at the time, the cocktail mm-hmm. poster. The, there's the moment where, um, Gina, uh, mm-hmm. Gershon, uh, takes a photo of him and she doesn't want Coglin in the photo. And I think, I think that's exactly what you're saying, Matt. I think that, 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 uh, that idea is embedded in the film. There's lots of dialogue towards him, and well, Patrick. Um... There's
1: so many ADR lines of women in behind the bar going, "Look at his ass," and you're like, "What yeah. is this?" Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: like his iconography at the time came from
5: uh, risky business. You can, you can the Ray Bans yeah. and that big smile, and I think he's yeah. playing on a lot of that here. He's just kind of echoing it.
6: But do you think, Matt, that women still like this film? When they listen to the fucking dialogue,
5: I was just talking about Cruise in general. I don't know right. if they, uh, mm. when he goes on a talk show and talks about Mission Impossible
2: yeah, Twelve sure. or
5: whatever he's doing, they'll they'll be in the audience and still be kind of enraptured by him. You know, I think it, it, films like this uh, made made that happen, and he'll he'll forever be in in their hearts. You know, for that.
4: What do you think it is? Like, I mean, this is like a big, big question here but like it's the cocky
5: arrogant um you know i think women are some certain women i should say are impressed by men who appear to know everything they appear to have all the answers and uh that's why some of these arrogant guys get a look in i think and he kind of represents that perhaps not as a as a person but through some of his performances
6: i think i think also men though matt at the time like i think uh, he would attracted a lot of men at the time as well because it, similarly similarly, um, I could see a lot of people being attracted to those things. I think... Um, well, Ga- Gally, you used to it, pretend though. to be
5: him, right, in Top Gun?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and I will say this. Listen, he's, he's got charisma. Tr- cruise. He, has got, he has got a lot of charisma. There's no doubt about that. He's got star power. And I, I just want to go back yeah. to that blue collar thing, because what this film really did highlight to me is that I wasn't wrong when I found him really jarring and why he gets dinged quite a bit in Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds where he's playing again a flawed father figure who's a blue-collar worker pitting himself mm. against an alien invasion. And everyone's like, I don't buy that.
4: Yeah. You can't just put on a, an ill-fitting baseball cap and pretend to not be this fucking weirdly committed superhero psycho we all know you are.
1: Exactly. It's the Liam Neeson joke, isn't it? I've, I've, I've played Rob Roy. Oscar Schindler. They're not going to believe me as a green a green grocer. Well, I had the same thing in this with uh, with Tom playing uh, cocktail and being a bartender. And here's my example, right? So when Cruz is trying to adjust to life behind the bar and he's trying to cut loose, prancing around and singing, uh, especially the "addicted to love" bit when he's singing and making drinks, like he's like he's like a beta Terminator trying to imitate human behavior. He looks so awkward and clumsy. And it's so fake. And I was thinking to myself, put Kevin Bacon in Footloose in that scene and I'm there. You'll sell me on the fact that this looks like the best bar and the greatest time in the world. Tom Cruise? I do not buy it.
2: Mm, <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's turning down the volume on Addicted to Love, which it kind of neatly ties in my hate for DJs and flair bartenders <laughs> in this game in this name's Dean. And it illustrates neatly how untalented. And, and funny they
1: really are. Well, this is it. Like I was thinking to myself, am I missing something? Because obviously we, I, we we were all kids in the eighties, so it was not like we were going to bars. But one, it's the TGI's, which I find I found to be just really <laughs> distracting. Because I was like, what? And then the other one was these people are waiting for a drink, and these two fuckers are spending ten minutes making one drink. I'd be going. I'm yeah. believing. Like, why are they? Why are they like? This is such a great time. I can't wait to actually get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Have
6: you seen how many people are at the bar? It's like five deep. Like, I used to play for an Irish football team and Gaelic football team, and I used to go for pints <sighs> for those lads after the game. If if the barman took any time making a drink, oh, there'd be uproar. You just can't oh, well, yeah. you can't imagine
4: it. Would you hear it go up if anyone asked for anything more complicated than a pint? Oh, I say, like, if you want a spirit and mixer and you're going to wait for me, if I have to sit there and watch you get to the Coke dispenser, it's like, ah, oh, for fuck's
2: sake. I, I, get, I get that
6: bars like that can be quite popular and a nice night nice out cocktail bar, but th- this is taking the piss.
5: Yeah. It's the well, people so- that, are, that are still kind of watching it um, aghast, you know, h- how amazing this tossing <laughs> bottles and shakers and catching them <laughs> behind his back. It's like there, there's a, a certain kind of guy who really likes that. And I think this film spawned a lot of knobheads who think that they're it's, Brian yeah. Flanagan. It's it's uh, almost single-handedly responsible for these guys out there.
4: I was just going to say, I used to live, uh, my, my previous flat to this one was literally directly above um, a B at one, uh, yeah. which who uh, don't know is the chain cocktail bar. Of choice for London and it's always like the worst birthday party of the work colleague you just know well enough to have to go they oh always God pick God. a be at one and it's always a fucking awful time because everyone goes for two for one cocktails which means it takes twice as long and you will sit like four or five deep parked at the bar like you, you, you don't even finish the preview. You sit and you finish the drink you already have in the queue to get the next one because you know how long it's going to take. Them.
6: So, so we see him with his books and he's reading. He wants to go make his millions. He's, he's applying. I quite like the montage of him applying for work on Wall Street and all the, you know, the, the yeah. sentiment to him like, no, get more experience. No, you can't do it. Come on. And they, you they keep kicking him to
4: another industry. It's yeah. Like, you should, you should go for advertising. You could go for the networks. Um, my girlfriend did point out though that. Um, as much as this is supposed to be a, oh, isn't the world being hard on him? And she said, as if he got in the fucking door for an interview in yeah. the first place. As if he got, <laughs> got past the fucking lobby. There's no way in Wall Street. What I
6: like is how we're saying that there's adulation for his uh, bartending skills and everyone's going wild, uh, addicted to love. But his first, we haven't spoken about his first shift, which is a disaster But Ah. I watched that scene, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Because everyone's shouting orders at him. Mm. Surely, I don't know whether it's just because we're British. Surely one person makes one order at a time. He's getting several orders (laughs) shouted at him at the same time. I just think, fuck, this is bollocks.
5: (laughs) What's a dirty mother? <laughs> you are, Matt. You're a dirty <laughs>
2: mother. <laughs> <laughs> Ordering a Cuba Libra Can I please from the glass water. She doesn't know how to make it. Where's my gym beam on the rock? It's coming. i am not breathing <laughs> till I get my Cuba Libra. This is what
3: I ordered. ordered. A wide you bitch! Why didn't you just tell me it was a rum and coke? Can I have what I ordered? A I an Angel tip. A white wine. Hey,
2: wow! A fire tuck. A singling. A white wine. wow!
3: Uh, yeah. Angel tip. A dirty mother. Can I have what I ordered? All right. All right. Now, what was it that you ordered? A martini. What's in
1: that? When we. Do return to the bars. I will certainly be inquiring about a fryer's tuck and an angel tit because I really <laughs> want to know what the hell that is. And the dingling, that comes back again later yes, on. Yes, we'll get yes, into that. It does. The um, kamikaze, the
4: kamikaze, the velvet hammer, the hammer, hammer <laughs>
2: slammer.
4: <laughs> oh, that, yeah. did you yeah. think that scene was very
5: Frank T J Mackey the college years? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. It was. It was Almost the like a scene out of Magnolia, but you know, kind of a precursor to it. It's quite amazing the way he was delivering those lines. It was like a, a Mackie seminar.
1: I had a theory on that uh, Matt, that this is actually the evolution of that character, and and that his real name was Brian Flanagan. <laughs> it, well, it, 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 yeah, it It, yeah. fits. it really <laughs> does fit. He hates women. Like he absolutely <laughs> <laughs> hates. Women.
4: It, it makes sense that it's exactly the sort of thing that that P.T. Anderson saw and knew that's what he needed to channel because like the one thing that that makes this film as great as it is is that as we're pointing out tom cruise can't do anything less than 100 percent commitment to whatever he's doing no matter how fucking stupid it is and that's Mm -hmm. like the mark of the best of the good bad films like the worst kind of bad film is something where everyone's just being sloppy and nobody cares and they're just kind of chucked this nonsense out into the world but the fact that everyone here seems like they're really going for it, especially him and it's so deeply stupid and confusing is what really lets it fly Because
1: Well there's two moments Devlin, uh, I- I'll point them out, the first one is in that first, uh, when he's doing the sort of baptism of fire behind the bar and he just calls one of the waitresses a bitch and he calls her a bitch like like she's just I don't know so he's about like pissed on <laughs> pissed on his chips it's unbelievable and I' was like ouch that's <laughs> like a, like, a, like a glass like razor sharp it like cuts straight through to me and then the second bit of weird inhumane behavior sorry is is when he's gotten a little bit better at bartending did, did any of you just like cringe when they were doing the shots and he's and he starts just uh, putting his hand on the bar and going ah I
2: was like, what what the hell is
1: that? Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the obituary
5: bit. Oh, There's a bit God. where he has, oh, he has a God. project. Oh, Matt, to, tell us, uh
6: and <laughs> recite it because it, I, I I could do with the cringe <laughs> this morning.
5: Well. I don't have it word for word, but it's about panting women, the color of panties, um, and about bedding his 18-year-old seventh wife
4: uh, as as a 99-year-old billionaire, and she is hospitalized due to (laughs) exhaustion because of his 99-year-old jackhammer banging.
3: Brian Flanagan, Senator Brian Flanagan, billionaire governor... Brian Flanagan, whose self propelled meteoric rise to wealth and fame would have made even J.D. Rockefeller envious, died early yesterday morning at the age of 99 while betting his 18 year old seventh wife, <laughs> Heidi, who is recovering from exhaustion at the local hospital and will be unable to attend the funeral. <laughs>
6: And he's doing it in the bar. Why isn't he go to his fucking apartment? And you know when he's writing and he's playing with a bottle and... Sp- oh, good lord.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, well, Patrick, we'll get into why he's in the bar because we have got ourselves a mentor, haven't we? We've got ourselves Mr. Doug Coughlin. Uh, the guru, the life uh, guru, in fact... Played by Brian Brown. We all know him from FX and FX2. Absolutely love him. Uh, I, Pat Devlin, do you remember randomly seeing him in that god-awful Gods of Egypt? So he just turned <laughs> <Yes>. up? <laughs> Jesus. He's yes. like, the,
2: he's like
1: the,
4: yeah, that's the one. He's one of the gods. It's, he's uh, a, he's a Cyrus, honestly, yeah, I'm Yeah. Uh, I am legitimately, unironically always happy to see Brian Brown.
1: Oh, same here, same here. Uh, um, although I will say that I was simultaneously, wholeheartedly irritated and yet fascinated by his character in this film. (laughs) Because his constant sermonizing about Coughlin's lore, I just wanted to punch him. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's such a charming individual. Really strange character though, and their dynamic is, um, is probably the most interesting thing about the film without, you know, you know, genuinely I found anyway.
6: Uh, Roger Ebert said that the film would have been
4: so much better had it just been about those two.
1: Yes, I, I we mm, totally agree. Yeah. yeah,
4: it's it's a bunch of different films awkwardly cut and shut together, and there, there is I I genuinely think there is a decent little film in there about you know two characters in the New York bar scene. One's very uh, uh, you know he's is he's, uh, uh, what we say he's, he's kind of determined and and then he's got his kind of mentor figure and then he starts to overshadow the mentor figure and the mentor figure kind of pushes back and there's there's like a dynamic it's just it's given about 6 minutes
1: it is it's all it's all surrounded the Gina Gershon character and we'll we'll maybe get into it in a bit deeper but I do love his sort of self-destructive self-loathing hmm. there's a sort of dichotomy between the school of life and and actually being educated and the film kind of positions itself uh, in the first 30 minutes as, as Brian is going to school because he's trying to sort of better himself, trying to improve. And, and Brian Brown, Doug Coughlin is almost saying to him, listen, this is all the education you need working behind here, being behind this bit of mahogany, which I'm going to say I completely disagree with that, uh, that logic. And the film kind of ends up going that way too. But, but I remember just to be anecdotal, when I was 15, I used to work at Pizza Hut. I used to make pizzas. There was a guy who was like, Doug Coughlin, who made pizzas and had been for the last seven years. And he used to be this guy, like, you know, stick with me. I know the ways of the world. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But, but you know what I mean? I, I did see some truth in the character. Well, I, I
5: wasn't so much of a, a fan of uh, Brian Brown. Um, I, I don't really like anything I've seen him in. And I felt like he, I don't know whether it was his fault, but there's a lot of misjudged humour in here, not just the politically incorrect stuff, like, there's a scene where he falls down some subway stairs, and it's one of the oddest pieces of slapstick (laughs) I've ever seen, it's not funny in the slightest. Uh, I don't Not know why it happens. I don't know what it means. It's, well, yeah, it's it's funny on some kind of weird level. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, and then there's another scene where they drunkenly sing "Chantilly Lace" like just before he uh, falls down the stairs. Hmm. And I don't know if it's supposed to be charming or endearing, but it just doesn't play for me. It just it comes off as very very odd. Yeah.
4: It's, it's kind of, it blindsides you because like everything in this film blindsides you, one scene does not have any correlation frequently with the one that preceded it. So <laughs> they're just, they're just now drunk and walking mm-hmm. through the street. And obviously I think the idea is that, you know, we're supposed to be seeing that Coughlin is, is dispensing his wisdom, but doesn't know what he's saying. So he keeps saying that, you know, uh, uh, no matter how, it, no matter how liberal the world becomes, a man will always be judged on how much alcohol he can consume. And women will always be impressed by it, yeah. mm. and that's and then that's when the, that's when he falls down a step of stairs. Is this, is
6: this the only time we've seen them drunk, apart from when Coughlin's pissed on the boat?
4: I think so. There's a lot of drinking I'll, in this
6: film, and there's yeah, not a lot of I'll drunk, be- and there's not a lot of hangover at all.
5: Well, I feel like Doug, Doug's just drunk all the time, isn't he? Yeah. He's having beer for breakfast and and shots all red, day, red
1: eyes and all sorts. Yeah, I think I think it speaks to again Tom not quite being able to tap into that human behaviour because him drunk is again just embarrassing. <laughs> when he's drunk later on in the art gallery, yeah, I was just like, "You've uh, never had a yeah, drink yeah, in yeah. your life. You <clears throat> have never had a drink in your life, have you, Mister Cruz? Which is just
6: it's just so obvious because it's like no one he just drinks Fiji water, Galley. He doesn't want to put that poison in his body.
5: Sorry, I have two things here related to. Uh... Coughlin, uh, I've, I've got a surrogate father's thing when it comes to Cruise Like and in some of his early films, there was a lot of surrogate father figures in his movies. There's the coach in All the Right Moves. You've got Tom Skerritt in Top Gun. And then you have uh, Doug Coughlin in, in Cocktail. You've got Paul Newman in Color of Money. Uh, Rain Man is kind of a peculiar one because there is an absent father, but Raymond himself is kind of a, a, a brother but he uh kind of acts in a paternal way he bathed him he sang to him uh you've got robert duval in days of thunder and gene hackman kind of in the firm and then john voigt in mission impossible so a lot of those choices have kind they have kind of got a lot of these weird surrogate father figures and they don't usually have a positive influence but sometimes they do
1: but yeah you're right Matt he, he does seem to position himself as but he's always the up-and-comer in all of these or he's the person who's going to change something it's probably mm. only when uh in Rain Man where it's him that's in the yeah. wrong at the beginning and then he he, uh-huh. he kind of comes into that way but that's because you know you're dealing yeah, they, with, they're uh, all kind
5: of mentors though aren't they that kind of have a yeah. they, they skew his life into a weird direction a lot of the time
4: I guess um, that that follows through into Magnolia then, because his character is Mm. essentially revealed to be, you know, the way he is because of issues with his absent father.
5: I think PTA really saw something in him. It was it was perfect casting, really. And I I wish he'd do more films like that because if you look at where Cruise has gone, uh, he's really gone towards franchises and he's taking the easy way out in in a lot of ways with Jack Reacher and Mission Impossible. And I wish he'd do. um,
6: It's very interesting. Like I was thinking about this. Have you seen Tropic Thunder?
5: Well, I wrote that down as my, um, the last time he, he gave a performance that I was actually surprised and impressed with. um, That was the last time he did something that I I really liked.
6: I'm wondering if though, talking about this, like if he'll have learnt this and now become the mentor for the, so we've spoken about the new Top Gun film before and Mm. Gally, I know you're worried that he's not, he, he looks like from the trainers that his character hasn't really learnt anything from the first film. But I'm wondering and hoping if he'll take this on board, Matt, and his character will become a mentor to someone else. To um,
5: I I, well, I, I doubt it. I, I think he's resting on his laurels, and I think he'd, I wish he'd work with um, more, you know, auteur directors. You know, yeah. if you look at Leo, Leo and uh, Brad Pitt, and and what they're kind of doing, I wish he'd kind of gone that road because he can do it. You know, he's yeah. he's worked yeah. with Oliver Stone and Ridley Scott, and uh, the the two films he did with Cam- Cameron Crowe,
1: even the slightly you know the the dark sci-fi stuff that he did with spielberg you know they even though the characters themselves were, were sort of thinly drawn you know i look at something like minority report and and think that cruise is not only the person that pulls us through that but there is a genuine emotional core to that character
5: well well there's a push and a pull like he's he's got this star power that can sell movies so if he worked with the right people he could do some really interesting work and yeah. uh, I, I think he's just letting it letting it fall by the wayside. Really, I mean, he did eyes wide shut. You know, this this guy worked with Kubrick. I mean, what are you doing with with this uh, Top Gun two? I mean, it, it's just purely for money. And it's he he, sh- he should really be doing roles that he can look back on with pride, and mm-hmm. he should be up for more Oscars. And he should be in 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 that that kind of uh, category of actors that are doing that. But he's just gone movie star, full on movie star. You know.
6: I feel this happens so, a lot. And, so like, I always, um, w- one film I really like, but I think is terrible, is Taken, and I always wondered why Liam Neeson mm-hmm. started doing these kind of things as
4: well. But that was a weird, like, in considering he's been doing it for so long, you sort of forget how fucking bizarre it is that yeah. he went from Oscar Schindler to just like trashy Euro exploitation revenge thrillers.
6: Yeah.
1: But yeah. I do love him for it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I do think the the Doug Coughlin character injects into Brian, or at least uh, accentuates it, is this weird, weird politics between men and women in mm. this film, and and it's it's really quite abhorrent. But this film has got like an active agenda against success. And women. Yeah. Uh, women in particular, like there is no, even if you look at the Elizabeth Hugh character, even she is, is, is not quite a positive portrayal, but everyone else in this film, including Fuck Me Eyes. She has a name, galley. In the credits, she's got Fuck Me Eyes. The depiction of women in this is, is pretty disgraceful. Like you've got the Bonnie character who becomes his sort of, uh, sugar mama, and she is, she is seen, she's almost vilified. Uh, Kelly Lynch is just a, a prop to have her ass walking around, but is also, yeah. she's also sort of weirdly kind of responsible for Doug's demise. It's,
4: yeah. And she's also given absolutely no time to actually be a character.
6: We just, you just said there, Gally, as well, contextualizing. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether the, this film at the time was just like, oh, these guys, these Wall Street yuppie New Yorker, he's called a wise guy at some point. I don't know whether there was association with the language of the dialogue then and why it was maybe people found it endearing from a time. But anyone watching this film now, they, I mean, we we were hiding behind our sheets here <laughs> we just half covering my ears because I couldn't believe what I was listening to. It's like a horror yeah. film of dialogue. It's fucking bonkers.
5: For a predominantly female audience, if it is indeed that, it's ironic because it's a film that does hate women. You know, it calls yeah. them chippies hearts and, you know, everything I can imagine, you know, it's, I don't think it's aged particularly well in, in any respect, but particularly as far as feminism goes.
4: Um, there the maybe is like a, um, a little kind of wish fulfillment fantasy of the kind of, you know, the, the rogue charming male who, uh, you know, that um, can be brought to heal by the love of a good woman. It's all horribly reductive. And I don't know whether any actual human being would ever think that but that's the best theory I've got.
5: That's another avenue that Mm. could have been explored, but really one thing I've written down is that there's no real character arcs. Yeah, that's true. Nobody really changes. Brian is the same at the end. He's chasing his million. He's driven by money and success and greed, but under the pretense that he's doing it for family and these twins that no one cares about. I I don't care if you have twins. (laughs) And paying back his (laughs) his dumb uncle. You know, I hope he doesn't get that money back. Um, (laughs) Really, nobody... Elizabeth Shue is a charming character in in many ways, but she the, the mistakes that she makes it's all on her. She's falling for this for this guy, you know. And if it is a parable, and it's not, but if it was, <laughs> it, it should be about a man's failures and not about his successes. You know, he doesn't lose everything. He gets all the things he wanted, and everything his dream seemingly comes to fruition. And you know, in in many ways, that makes it quite
1: worthless. I think.
4: Well, I guess because the, the, the death of the mentor is supposed to be the kind of the wake up, I, I would assume.
1: If you give the death about a minute of screen time <laughs> and no one responds to the death, apart from Doug's dead, then, uh, then yeah, the impact will be lessened. Yeah. <laughs>
5: he, he does scream uh, and it, it was reminiscent of uh, the oh, scene in this. Vanilla Sky where he shouts, uh, tech
1: support, tech support. <laughs> it was just like that. Hi, everyone. We'll be back in one moment to carry on our discussion of Cocktail after this important message. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of podcasts. You're afraid of change. I know the future. I came here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how to begin. I'm going to ask you to get your phone and then I'm going to show you How to access the best movie podcast out there. I'm going to show you a movie podcast without flaws. A movie podcast without rules and controls. Without borders or boundaries. A movie podcast where anything is possible. Where you go from there is a choice I leave to you. So go check out Verbal Diorama. The movie podcast that explores the movies you know and the movies you don't. With interesting stories of all the categories. Available now from wherever you get your podcasts. Just follow the link below in the show notes. And Trinity, I told you she was the one. Brian Brown and... Tom Cruise are so good at what they do at TGIs that talent, a talent scout or just someone who owns <laughs> the, the hippest, the hippest uh-huh. saloon in town just so happens to either hear about them. I assume it's word of mouth, but again, bullshit. Um, but he's basically like, you guys need to come work for me. I'll make you famous in two weeks time. And Brian Brown, mm. like... I'm already famous. I'll just take the money, baby. This
6: is the synchronised bartending to Hippie Hippie Shake, isn't it? Which yeah. we've yeah, never seen them train for. We, we don't really understand how <laughs> there's that... <laughs> Fine, anyway.
1: And then they're in this this yeah. bar called the Cell Block, which looks like the worst bar in the world. There is no seating. Yep. There is one island, no music. a bar. No music. Instead, there's <laughs> poetry, and I, I, I can't oh. think of anything worse. This cursor would be glassed in the UK if someone shut the music off and <laughs> <laughs> started to start reading crap poetry. It's insane. There's a bit where a bloke shouts, Give us a kiss, you sexy beast.
6: Oh my God. And it's God, very God, yeah.
5: unfunny and would lame. And we've talked about the Alabama slam a bit, but there's the, the yuppie poet beforehand that, that's just re- yeah. really awful. I, my theory on that was that they, that they have to make, um, Tom Cruise and Brian Brown look cool. So the only way to do that mm. is to lower everyone else down to uh... such a, a, a level uh, where it doesn't make any sense. It's like there's, this, there's a line in um, uh, American Graffiti where someone shouts, get bent, turkey, and it just reminded me of, of that. <laughs> just really lame put-downs that don't quite pay off.
1: Uh, Matt, I'll tell you now, I'll challenge, I'll challenge your theory about propping up Tom because after the yuppie poet, they're all shouting... More poets, more poets. It's like, no, they're, they're thirsty. They're like the, the audience in Gladiator. They want death. They're like, give me more. This poem, uh, I mean, uh, this is where my jaw dropped.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> when uh, when we were watching this, Chiara uh, 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 had watched a bit of this with me before, but this was her mm-hmm. first time watching it as well. And she just said, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> So, the reaction she had.
3: I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. The sex on the beach. Yeah. The schnapps made from peach. The velvet
2: hammer. The
3: Alabama slammer. Yeah. I make things with juice and froth, the pink squirrel, the three-toed sloth. I make drinks so sweet and snazzy, the iced tea, the kamikaze, the orgasm, the death spasm, the Singapore sling, the ding America, you're just devoted to every flavour I've got. But if you want to get loaded, why don't you just order a shot? Did
1: any of you notice that um, Roger Donaldson, uh, the director of the film, uh, decided not to go for a wide? It was just a mid-shot the whole time. because They obviously didn't want to yeah. put Tom in scale which I thought was quite good, which is quite
5: good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lifts on your shoes won't help in a, in a shot like that.
1: But anyway, what's happened is that, uh, you know, we, we kind of accelerate through cause we want to get to Jamaica cause we've got another film to talk about in a minute.
2: Mm.
6: Let's please talk about Tom Cruise's we- Jamaican accent first. Though.
5: Oh, I wanted Oof. to do it, but I thought it would be so insulting <laughs> that I didn't even try. Yeah. I'm
6: happy doing a shitty Irish, but I'm not doing Jamaican, man. I-,
5: I think I can say the lines. I've got them in front of me here. It's in Jamaica, man. Oh, yeah, man. Very south of Soho, the Caribbean, Jamaica, man. That's the line, but I'm, I-, I won't do
0: this. Oh. Uh... Uh, I think
4: you did it justice. Well, because this is our Gina Gershon s- sequence. I would. This is the point at which I started manically writing down the timestamps of when everything is happening. <laughs> this is when, okay, so at the 23-minute the, uh, the mark, they have the first mention of their opening, uh, that they want to open a place called Cocktails and Dreams. That's something we've mm. ever seen in an apartment. Yeah, with all the random sporting paraphernalia that that comes with. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we're big fans of the Giants, eh? By the time Gina Gershon is in the flat and they need to get 75 grand to go to Jamaica, that is less than seven minutes later. (laughs) And I assume Gina Gershon now lives with them or also not because she has a big house of her own because she's rich.
5: Well, I was interested in Gally's uh, bedroom critique for the sex scene. I don't know if you wanted to go into the, the pillow fighting champagne sipping uh what did you make of that one
0: as
1: far as uh, cin- cinematic uh, sex scenes go uh i'd probably i'd probably put this in the sort of the wrestlemania category because they they don't seem to be having <laughs> sex. <laughs> it, it starts off right you see both
6: two feet hanging off the edge of the bed which is a sex stable but then it just mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. descends
1: into anarchy i know gina gershon <laughs> gives the good old Oh my goodness! Because obviously it's an orgasm. She ordered one. Now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, a, li- a little bit of trivia. Apparently, she's uh, she's super ticklish. So Tom just kept tickling her in the scene, and they kept. Th- that's, what, that's what's in the film.
4: You know, like in uh, in cartoons when people have a fight and it just turns into a big dust cloud with like arms and legs sticking out.
1: Of it. <laughs> <laughs> Except that the duvet is the dust cloud. <laughs> so after one one bit of sex. Tom's like, no, I'm not treating her that way to, to Brian Brown. Uh, it's something, it's something more serious than that. And Brian Brown basically does, and we all know this, it's a written rule, guys. If a guy makes a bet, <laughs> you gotta take it. So, um, so he makes him a bet saying, I bet, uh, by the end of the week, $50, that, uh, the Gina Gershon character will be with another man. Coral. Coral. Cause he keeps going, Carl, she's an inanimate object.
6: Like, Fucking fuck,
1: you know. He what, must have said something about that sex that they had to her, so she took umbrage with it, and then they just start snogging in front of Tom. Yep. And, and to be fair, he does actually react like a human would. He genuinely does look hurt yeah, and pissed yeah. off. This is my first bit of whiplash. Slow fade, we're in Jamaica. I was like, what, yes. is, bro, what is going on here? All of a sudden, the Beach Boys okay. are playing. Okay.
4: So I can... I can now give you a full timestamp of how all of this went down. Yeah, and how so long 23 between? Twenty-three minutes. We had the yeah. yeah. Twenty-three minutes. The first mention of cocktails and dreams. They were probably in cell block working in cell block around the twenty-five minute mark, twenty-six maybe. Thirty-one minutes. Gina Gershon is in the flat. They are now an item. They're going to go to Jamaica. Thirty-five minutes. This is four minutes later. Gina Gershon has has cheated on him with Brian Brown. And uh, Tom Cruise has already gone to Jamaica.
5: But how long between in the story is it actually? Like two years or something it's, like that? It's three years. I think it's two two three, three years. years. Three
6: <laughs> years. You keep saying that's Patrick.
1: I I I had to check though on the subtitles because Brian Brown's dialogue in this is a little bit muffled. It's, it's Australian accents. He
6: says, "I've known him three years."
1: No, he says, I've known him for three years. Oh, but I've not seen him for I've two. But I've not seen Is him for right? two, because no, I have to check the subtitles. Said,
6: they, they said in the apartment, it will take three years to save that kind of money. So that's why we go hmm. through anyway. uh, Three years yeah. to save the
1: money for the bar in New York using Jamaica as a, as a slush fund because you don't have to pay tax.
6: Anyway, unlike, unlike, uh, <laughs> Coughlin and Brian, let's not let this get between us. Uh, it just it <laughs> <No, happen.
1: laughs> <laughs> It's a long time that we've just jumped. Happy to introduce a deep cut background artist, Uncle Frank from Home Alone. Just like, yeah. hey, buddy, get me a drink. You little jerk. <laughs> it's fucking great. Elizabeth Shue just turns up and says, "Hey, barman, my friend's over there. She's passed out." And he just jumps over the bar and does what anyone else would have done, which is best, ring an ambulance. Hey,
3: buddy. The name is not Buddy, pal. The brochure promised me a drink on the house, pal. I'll take one of those orange things.
2: Excuse me. Uh, My friend just passed out on the beach over there. Do you have a phone anywhere? No,
3: no. Excuse me. Excuse me. She was uh, drinking champagne in the sun. Champagne. Perfume going in. Sewage coming out. Is she going to be all right? Yeah, she's going to be okay. Uh, Could somebody go down to the condo office and have them call an ambulance? Yeah, sure. Just in case. I'm,
1: I'm probably being ironic here, but could be the best meat cue in all cinema because I don't think I've ever it's, seen oh a relationship man, yeah. formed like that. It's great.
5: Well, there's a better one with a shoe. There's a better one in Karate Kid where they go to the arcade and play all those all those games. That's well, I, I guess he he met her before that though. He met her on the beach, right? When he's trying yeah. to do keepy. He, he
1: had met her. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Whereas, yeah. This this is like literally just uh, mm. your, your friend passed out from champers. Yeah. And, and now you're in an ambulance, yeah. and, and and forever we will be bonded.
1: Now, what I will say is I've been ragging on Tom yeah. now for about an hour. I do think this is the best section for him. He, his hair seems to have been done better. He's got a tan. He looks more like the star we know as Tom Cruise, and I do think that he's he's better in this section than he is in any other section of the film. Looks a bit overcast, doesn't it? Well,
6: actually, I read that it was quite cold in Jamaica when, at the time they were there. And when he was having the waterfall sex, which is looks very comfortable, um, apparently he was absolutely freezing. And if you look closely enough, his lips are blue at some point. And he, he did not enjoy it at <laughs> all. <laughs>
4: They forgot to check when Summer was in Jamaica.
6: But talking of Elizabeth Shue, for some reason, I didn't clock that she was the same person from Karate Kid and Back to the Future So I was watching this last night. I don't know why or how, but... It well,
1: she's went, only oh, in two I, of them,
4: right? She's in two, two and, and three,
5: three as far as Back to the
4: Future.
1: Yeah, I've got a real childhood crush on, uh, on Elizabeth Shoe from Karate Kid.
6: I actually think she's very good in this. Her character's not given the freedom or independent thought. It's all... Her character is completely dictated by Cruz, which is really uh, problematic.
4: She's a she's a function. She's the love interest, and then she's you know the, the love in interest pregnancy
6: that needs to be won back. It's just it's not fair on her. But she does a good she's job. on the wrong
5: end of a lot of the misogyny. You know, yeah. he's got that cocky, mm-hmm. cheeky bravado going on. But he, he in in some of those early movies like Risky Business and All the Right Moves, he, he had that. But now he's kind of full on misogynist. He's like. Uh, he, there's a moment where he says to Shu, uh, so is this your profession? Like, in reference to her drawing, he just...
6: The drawing is bad, though. <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah. And then, and then Brian, <laughs> he, he asks her, like, does this pay the rent, you know? Yeah. And uh, and then kind oh, of yeah. sarcastically it's, it's, says...
4: these days that, that would be great TJ Mackey style. That's negging, man. Yeah,
5: he sarcastically says... Uh, you've captured my innermost soul. He's just insulting her for this terrible picture that she's done. And then he insults her job as a waitress as well. He says, oh, home of the famous cement Danish. It's like, she's trying her best. You know, she's, she's, yeah. uh, and then we shouldn't, re- can we get into the, the the
1: plot twist that uh she's a, she's a Manhattan uh, millionaire well, let's get into all of Elizabeth Hughes, sort of the subplot with that, because it is sub as well, like it's not the plot, it is the plot if you read IMDb, but it's, it's treated as a subplot. She's actually uh, a rich heiress, which again speaks to this depiction, because all the women are either successful business women that are a threat, or they've inherited their millions from their, their rich fathers like Kelly Lynch and Elizabeth mm-hmm. Shue.
4: And they don't, they don't dwell at all on the fact that even though she is like a, a socialite heiress, she is also working as a waitress to support herself as a painter. And has yeah, her own apartment, it's like it's so a odd.
6: small apartment that yeah. she makes it into an art studio to, you know, pers- pursue her dreams. Um, it's just a shame she's given such dialogue as, don't come here with that sexy smile of yours
1: when he comes up with the decision to say I don't want that I want to get back with you Jordan he he the film actually sides with Cruz and when he says something I think he says something like um, oh you were coming on way too strong though and it's like like, what and then
3: when
1: uh, it says something like that and then the other one is listen when a guy makes a bet you got to take it
3: it's not as bad as it seems you see Doug landed a rich chick And that night he bet me that I couldn't do the same. A rich chick. So you'd go with a
2: woman just because she had money?
3: No, it's not the money. He bet me that I wasn't good enough to hustle her.
1: Hustle her? And I was worth so little to you that you could just take some stupid juvenile bet?
3: No, you see, a a guy lays down a dare, you got to take it.
1: Brian, how do you think I felt seeing you go off with some woman after the time that we spent together? Just
3: hold on a second. You were pushing me down there. You were coming on too strong, too fast.
1: Oh, I was pushing you. Well, you know, you happened to be there, too. I I thought that we had something going. I didn't play any games with you.
5: It's not only responsible for all these uh, twat bartenders. It's also responsible for normalizing, like treating women poorly. there's men who are clearly cheating and not apologising, they're blaming women for it, you know, like you just said about the coming on too strong, and the excuse of you know, I got spooked and, <laughs> and, and now he says he can handle it and it'll be different this time and all that, you know, men talking their way out of being totally morally in the wrong I think she's normalised by this film and the, the worst thing is that this film tells us that, as, as much as I like Shu's character, I think after Coglin, she's probably the most well, I don't, he's not very likeable, but She's certainly the most likable character. And it says, if a woman finds you attractive, she'll overlook literally everything else about you. And (laughs) it's like... (laughs) All
4: of your horrible, horrible personality. As much as... (laughs) All of the really toxic shit you say to me about my profession and hobbies. And talents. Yeah. And
5: she's stuck with him now. She's stuck with this idiot's babies, you know, because she's just, uh, she didn't she saw the red flags and ignored them. So, as much as I like her probably the most out of everyone, she still, you know, gets what she deserves as far as I can tell. (laughs) This is
4: a a film full of horrible people getting what they
1: deserve. Well, it speaks to but it speaks, Matt, to again, Shu being really strong in the film is that she's there in that midsection to. As almost an, or, an audience surrogate, so she does a lot of smiling and adoring of Tom Cruise through just looks and gestures, and she does sell that. And I do like when Cockland turns up at the bar and starts sort of antagonizing Brian. She 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 hates him straight away. She she rolls her eyes and yeah. and then especially when Kelly Lynch comes over as well, and they start smooching in front of her. Her just off screen, quietly yeah, yeah. <laughs> quietly sat sat down. She, her disdain for them is, is apparent straight away. There's, there's one little, um,
4: nod back towards, uh, uh, Brian's, um, business, uh, you know, acumen or business dreams or whatever, which I thought was especially ridiculous, which is that he's, you know, he's playing around with a little cocktail umbrella. So oh he yeah. He gets God. up in the morning and, and makes these cocktail umbrellas. And these are the numbers he comes huh. up with. They make 10 billion a year. That guy <laughs> is a millionaire. If I take 10 billion of something a year just to get a million dollars, I can guarantee you I wouldn't bother. (laughs) I kind of switched off for that scene, Mm -hmm. though, when
6: he's having breakfast with her talking about cocktail cocktail sticks. Um, And I knew the film was doing... He wasn't doing the job on me because I was concentrating on the rowing guy in the background to, to make sure his, to make sure his timing was correct and and the continuity was okay. And it, it was it was excellent. It was very well done. So can we talk about why the fuck is he still friends with Coughlin? Why does he actually go with this older woman anyway when he I, I don't really believe it. Just for a bet, and then I, I am glad that uh, uh, Jordan, when he sees her and him leaving the bar, which is how does he expect that to be hidden and not be seen there at the bar that he works from hand in hand with. Anyway, um, I'm glad she does leave
4: just just for a bet with uh, open her, but
6: bar, oh. and he's surprised that she saw him with her. Anyway. Uh, I'm glad she flew back to New York after that, because that that's kind of like a reasonable response. We're talking about human responses in this film, which the, there are few. But why is he fucking friends with Coughlin after what he's done to him? And why is the well, film choose that he meets Elizabeth Shue the day Coughlin arrives at the bar on his honeymoon? Oh, God. <laughs> like Coincidence. Th- this could
5: be a good time to to... Try my theory. I, I was quite bored watching this, so I developed this half cocked well, theory. I was
6: watching a rower,
5: Matt. <laughs> His form was very good, though. The, the uh, I developed a half cocked theory that Doug yeah. is Satan, and in, yeah. in in a similar vein to uh, like Al Pacino in Devil's Advocate or Gabriel Byrne in End of Days, <laughs> he's like an Aussie barman Satan, and he's like the master of temptation and he's usually dressed in black. Um, he's, he's pulling Brian's strings. He's manipulating okay. him for his own benefit, uh, kind of as a plaything. And uh, I don't know if this entirely fits, but, um, the seven deadly sins kind of play into this theory. You've got pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Uh, he says to Brian, you take pride in your work. You're a great bartender uh, in sometime in Jamaica. And then there's greed, you know, money rules, Brian, and all he cares about is making his million. They've got $500 brandy bets between them. You've got lust. Obviously he sleeps with Gina Gershon, Elizabeth Shue, the rich woman. And, uh, he also kisses Doug's wife, but he kind of passes that test. Mm. Uh, Doug says to Brian, you've got to keep your envy in check. That's a direct quote from the film. There's gluttony, but not through food like that fat chap in Seven, but like alcohol and women and money. Wrath uh, I was struggling with, but he punches Doug at one point and he attacks the the art guy. Finally, there's Sloth, which is like an, <laughs> this lazy approach to wealth and get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, he, want, he wants a quick buck, he like does. something for nothing. You know, he's says, scamming these you, rich women. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I tried I to develop the- it. I Probably failed, but yeah, it, it came through boredom on the second, second watch.
4: It's, yeah, it's really good. Cause if, if there was more kind of psychological depth or more time spent with these two, like we said that this would be a much better film if it's a film about those two and their kind of weird toxic mentor, mentee friendship thing. If you spend that time with them and you see more of, cause we don't really see. Tom Cruise being mentored by Brian Brown, all that. Much. Well,
5: he kind of tempts him. It's not long it, enough. He, to, he tempts yeah. him with this hard liquor too. He 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 doesn't seem to be a real friend as far as his mentorship goes. He's a liar. He he taunts him mm. with lines like he goes for the poorest and the dumbest every time. I mean, how insulting is that? He calls Jordan a blonde yeah. chippy like in front of him. Uh, and Galley had a a, a, bit, a bit that might fit in. I don't know if you developed it about his Catholic guilt, and uh, I don't know if you want to do any more uh, Irish accents, but um, Brian does uh, kind of lean into the, these kind of Catholic uh,
1: guilt moments, perhaps. It's kind of feeding into the, the writer hates women and what Coughlin also represents, but they don't ever talk about what happened with Brian's parents. It's inferred... But I think it all feeds into the same, the same melting pot, so to speak, or the same drink. Mm, there we go. Apt. Uh, where <laughs> they, they, essentially he, he's got, he's got complications with women and he treats them as commodities and Coughlin kind of pulls that out of him. And I totally agree with Devlin that had they just explored that kind of toxic masculinity and the, their relationship, because it's, it's a relationship of necessity on both sides you know brian wants to wants to step up doesn't quite have the knowledge doesn't have quite the the cachet in the business yet and and doug has got all the wisdom but is kind of a spent force so i kind of saw it as doug trying to vicariously live through brian and they could have really explored that and gone down some really interesting avenues but they ended up just patrick like you say it's just kind of because movie you know why, why does he turn up because movie, and we need we need the you know we need the tracks of the train to to move to another direction because <laughs> everything feels it's almost episodic. It's, the fact yeah. that it's adapted by a book by the writer, it almost feels like when we talked about Ellie Confidential and and Curtis Hansen, and uh, and not Brett Hangeland but Brian Hangeland uh, cutting cutting the darlings and sticking to the core of the story. I do wonder if that wasn't done here and maybe a yeah. writer brought in to, to adapt the book would be able to to make it a more coherent i mean now, this is like a, this is
4: like for me an entire season of a tv show this is oh, like yeah. a 10 episode tv series
1: yeah and that's how it plays right cuz just yeah. so many things happen but they there's so little consequence like one of the things we've not even mentioned is there's no real threat or conflict really They just kind of conjure it up to Brian and Jordan consummate their, their relationship in a waterfall scene, which it only then becomes apparent later on that that's where she got pregnant in the most impractical of ways, because if I had water tipping all over my face during...
6: It is a complete fantasy. This. Film,
1: well, it's salt it? water. You'd be like, Wah. you'd be like, what? Oh, Fucking horrendous. <laughs> but that happens, and it's like a, it's a, it's a magical movie moment.
4: They also have a have a, a fireside sex scene. Oh
1: yeah, well, I think yeah. because she she painted it that that's where it happened. But, okay, fine. It could have been at the fire.
6: I do love when um, Tom Cruise lights the match and flings it at Bonnie across the bar. That is quite impressive. That
1: was quite cool. That was the moment where I was like, yeah, I'd probably sleep with him that night, too.
4: (laughs) (laughs) She reminds me so much of Glenn Close. When she's working out, she goes, "Get me a carrot juice,
2: would you? (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> so the entire relationship with Elizabeth Shue is uh, less than 7 minutes of screen mm. time in case yes, you're wondering and oh, uh, before he gets to New York did you see the size of the fucking shirt on him <laughs> after he sleeps <laughs> with Blake <playing> Post <post-point? laughs> I know that it's the 80s and there are some large shirts around but it was like you had ripped the mask off the ship <laughs> He's billowing. He's enormous.
6: What I like about this is Tom Cruise seems to have a problem with artwork in this film. He he hits two individual people into two different pieces of art and destroys them. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a vendetta against statue um, um,
1: sculptures. <laughs> Patrick, when when he does the uh, the seduction, yeah, uh, and he gets burnt the first time. Again, what I found strange about the way that 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 scene was composed is that Coughlin's there and he's basically taunting him and I don't know if you noticed but there are two there are two women to the left who are also getting in on this little bit of jousting and they're laughing away when he's like he can't back himself a rich woman and they're like ah, yeah you're right <laughs> so you're much right, vindication Doug, in this hot. film
6: though and you, you touched upon it with the, the writer it's the writer who, I don't think this film's been produced particularly well from a story point of view. And it's just, you know, like people left to their laurels. Off you go. Make a film. You Who know, gives a fuck what you say? And you, they just speak in their own voice. And I, it, it's bollocks.
4: It's bollocks. Sorry. Roger reader.
6: <laughs> There's no way we could keep our sandwiches and our lunch boxes in this one. No. There's so much cringe and hate on the dialogue in this film from me. In fact, actually, the only thing that made me laugh in this film, when he's in Jerry's diner and he's like, can I see the specials? And the the table next to him are trying to get served. You go, I'd like to see the specials. That's the yeah. only thing that, 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 the customer the, the, <laughs> there, he says, I'd like to see the specials so earnestly. That's the only thing in this film that genuinely made me laugh as a bit of comedy.
1: Well, it's, it's so strange because he's now, he's now a kept man. He's pushing this, I don't even know what she does for business. I think she just says "I'm businesswoman" or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am, businesswoman.
6: She, she's the boss of things, and she, when she, uh, when they have a fallout, I think doesn't she says like, "I'll get you into
4: sales." Yeah, she's going to get him a sales exec position, isn't
3: it? Remember, you're picking me up at seven tonight. Why don't you wear the gray pinstripe we bought you last week? Okay. Did you tell him about my marketing ideas? I don't want him to think I'm shoving my boyfriend down their throat. What difference does it make? You're the boss. These guys are top salesmen, babe. I can't treat them like office boys. Listen to me. Look, you could wait six months. You'd still be the youngest sales manager in the business. Trust me, baby.
5: His
6: wants to be rich. You know, this is a perfect way that would give an arc that said was lacking. And it is because it doesn't follow through. But it's the perfect setup to say actually being rich isn't what he wants he wants a normal life and you know like he doesn't like this bourgeois lifestyle but he's completely put by the wayside and ignored
1: uh, it's so strange and, and what what's also weird about their dynamic is that she treats him like the help and then when he does kick the artist's ass, and he's waiting outside she seems somewhat cut up by it i'm like well yeah, I don't yeah. understand. Like, did you genuinely have feelings for him when she's like, "Oh, I didn't want it to break up this way, or I didn't want it to end this way"? And it's like, you didn't, you've not. At, at no point do we see them actually have any affection for each other. It's just he resents her, and she, he's just in the background for her to hold her coat, and 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 she no. completely ignores him. So again, it it feels like if this was trying to be some kind of satire or some kind of theme that they wanted to try and extrapolate uh maybe you know wealth isn't everything that you thought it would be which we kind of get with Doug a little bit but it just doesn't ever follow through in any way because one we haven't had enough time to kind of set it up but two the way that they've executed it in the time that they have is completely frivolous it's like well the only thing that really stands out is Tom Cruise's shirt in that art gallery which is outrageous (laughs) by the way I think it's
5: quite a dangerous uh botched message really uh, as far as like it's uh many men who grew up watching this must think that it's somehow fulfilling to live like this because like no lessons are learned at all uh and if it does anything right it quite eloquently reflects the attitudes of a great deal of men who think who don't think deeply about their lives and they they're all surface and shallow and kind of impulsive and they blame the world for their eventual partners and resent them because they dived in too soon or they allowed themselves to be pulled or just drifted into family situations rather than actually making plans and taking responsibility for it. Again, it's a film that kind of condones that. So that's another reason why I, again, sandwiches, I didn't really, you know, enjoy it too much.
1: Well, what do you think about the way that they, they wrap up Doug? Because this, 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 this bit. So when, when Tom finally realized that, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be a captain, I'm not going to close the deal, which again is just it's like horrible language that they use. But he mm. goes back to Doug, who's opening a new bar, because when they were in Jamaica, Doug said, I think Doug made another bet, which is you'll be coming to work for me.
4: He says you'll work for me, yeah. And that's when they, they bet a bottle of Louis XIII, which I found out is, uh, 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 it's a Remy Martin rum.
1: Yes, and it's... Uh, Louis XIII. And, and when, when Tom goes into the... Um, into the bar that he now owns in some lush part of New York. The way that Brian Brown embraces him, you you genuinely feel like there was a connection, even though we've never actually seen it in the film. And he feels like he can't believe he's there, and and I, I do buy that he's like, "You're my only friend, my you know, I'm really happy to see you." And then it mm. takes another turn, and I had to turn my neck the other way, and this <laughs> is when
3: the whiplash came in because I'm like, "What is going on?" Douglas Coglin, your ship. Has certainly come in.
0: <laughs> my ship. My ship is going down, and I'm going down with it. How's that? Well, this is an illusion. I'm on my ass. I haven't got a pot to piss in. A mm. hundred grand a week. Painful. I should have read some of your sacred books, young Flanagan. Anything I know about saloons is how to pour whiskey and run my mouth off. I knew nothing about insurance, or sales tax, or the building code, or labor costs, or the power company, or purchasing, or linens. Everyone with a hand stuck it in my pocket. You must make enough to cover that. If I'd stuck to what I know best, which is almost nothing... Instead, I put all the cash into commodities and blew the fucking block.
2: I
6: understood him saying, like, I've opened a bar, but I'm only a bar. You know, his sentiment is I'm only a barman. I didn't understand about overheads and blah, blah, blah. But him saying that he hasn't got any money or a pot to piss in, he's married. He's got a wife who supports him and who he's Mm. there at the bar. And I mean, yes, she's kissing other men. I thought it was because she was pissed off because he's lost all the money, but then we find out that she doesn't bloody well know that he's lost some money, which is bonkers <laughs> uh, and doesn't make any sense. But, I mean, this film just needed to race up, like, you know, ramp up him, his yeah. demise, and uh, a negative to it, which Tom Cruise doesn't learn oh, yeah. from at the end of the it's film bizarre. anyway. So what was the fucking point? But, I, funny enough, I did see it coming, Gally, because when he falls asleep drunk, I thought, oh my god, he's He's dead, like he's drank himself into stupor. But then he drops her off at her apartment. If he's going to turn her down, he turns her down before he gets into that kiss. Anyway, so he goes uh um and then goes back to Doug yeah. and it is a horror scene, isn't it galley?
2: Doug yeah. Somebody help me!
1: Oh! Oh! Because the thing is, <laughs> didn't you touch the blood first? It's like, it's quite cool. <laughs> it's <joking. laughs> Like, what are you doing, Brian? Yes. But the other thing as well that didn't, that I didn't think they, they followed through is he takes a Polaroid picture of him and understand that it's like, oh, he's in isolation. He's surrounded by none of his mm. friends because he doesn't have any. <sighs> but I was thinking, well, surely that's going to be a picture at the back of the bar in cocktails. Nope. Nope.
4: Never seen again. <laughs> Because we we had, like, this was the, what, third or fourth massively melodramatic standalone sequence in a row, because the one before that was when he goes to Elizabeth Shue's parents' place, and the dad tries to buy him off with a check, and he rips the check up, and he storms out with a sick guitar riff. So now we've got this, and that came at this, like, 80 minutes into the film, and now suddenly we've got this whole other plot of, like, oh, she's rich. Oh, the dad is going to try and buy him off. Oh, he's going to have to stand his ground. Oh, go see Brian Brown. Brian Brown's dead. This all happens in less than 10 minutes.
6: Oh my God. And, he also, and also, she's pregnant now as well. And yes. like she's just not showing no signs of it. And at the end of the film, he's opened a bar and she's only looking about six months pregnant. So in mm-hmm. him making that bar, it happens in an awfully short amount of time. And I don't <laughs> think that Uncle Pat gives him all the money. So him saying he doesn't care about money from her father, I think he invested in this bar as well. And he is about money, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's and then he
2: just more poetry. Ah.
1: Brian Brian Brown has, has, has literally ripped his juggler apart in a, a ripping
0: scene.
1: <laughs> he has given he has given absolutely he's given one line, which is Jordan, dog's dead. <laughs> he, he had too much pride. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, to to yeah. confide in me. Anyway, let's move on. What about us? What are we going to do? And we literally, that is literally it. I love you, and I want to marry you, and I I don't know why, but I think this can work. Slow fade down, slow fade back up, and he's got a fucking bar. What had me just going, what have I just watched for the last, committed, by the way, committed to watch for the last hour and 40 minutes, is that the uncle just says... I'll give you the money.
4: The last three years were for
2: nothing, you prick. <laughs> was
1: Uncle Pat just trying to t- prove to him that you will eventually have a wife and kids, and you ju- it'll just happen? Was that his whole point? Was he the puppet master behind this entire story, and he could have just given him the money?
4: Yeah, well, if Doug was Satan, then Uncle Pat is the is the guardian angel, and he swoops in to to clean up after he you know after he learns
2: his lesson
6: when he reads the letter, the suicide letter. Oh God! And mm. confronting the father. There's a lot more acting because a lot. <laughs>
4: there's a bit in the voiceover where Brian Brown's just like, you know, I'll never forget all the conversations we've had. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they're married at the end. Well, aren't they? Like, they're married. Yeah. She's pregnant.
4: Married. They're, they're in the so they get married in like in in Uncle Pat's bar. And there's an inexplicable bit where Tom Cruise just stares right into Elizabeth Hughes' face, points downward with both his index fingers, and just says. Right now, baby. <laughs> <And his> t- <laughs> I don't know what he's getting at, but I don't want it.
1: And is it this when he stands up and does the poetry because the people want it?
6: And though he says some questionable things about the other girl,
3: I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Now, if Jordan gives birth to a fine Irish son, there'll be cocktails and dreams for him one day to run. A business that shall yield a financial windfall. It better
2: <laughs>
3: to be franchised in every suburban shopping mall. A dynasty, founding a dynasty. Now, if a daughter arrives to bless our clan. I guess the shit will certainly hit the fan. <laughs> but this I shall promise to thee, I'll never let her marry a guy like me. <laughs> still, if our child's the naughtiest of girls or the wildest of young men, I swear I'll be the best dad I can Aww, yeah. and never, ever <laughs> get spooked again.
1: Oh, and that is cocktail, gents. I mean, we, we may have gone on slight rants. I'm sorry if anyone's still with us, but... um a challenging film though no? a very challenging film. <laughs> a challenging film when you
4: address its position in the pop culture firmament which is to say just some film that nobody really that is like very well known but that I, I, it sounds like none of us have ever taken the time to watch the whole thing
1: i wonder yeah, if- right
4: right it is just sort of it just sort of is it's the definition of these bargain bin films it's around you've seen bits of it you've heard of it You've seen the DVD box Mm. around enough. Somebody's mum or auntie probably really likes it, but hasn't seen it since
1: 1989. We we are maybe eating into our summaries, so we'll go around the room. Matt, Matt, have you got a... Well, would you recommend Cocktail for for our listeners?
5: Well, I just want to preface this quite damning uh, (laughs) kind of (laughs) conclusion with uh, a couple of shout-outs. One is the, the DOP, Dean Semler, who was a fellow Aussie as far as uh you know Roger Donaldson directing was concerned he made uh he shot Waterworld and Dances with Wolves and uh my favorite Young Guns 2 Colon Blaze of Glory which I'd love to do in the future uh Dead Calm which is another one Super Mario Brothers I know you like that one Gally so he's a he's a he's a great DOP in the uh in the, the Hollywood world. And uh, also the music was done by J Peter Robinson, who I'd never heard of, but turns out did the music for Wayne's world, uh, Erie, Indiana, which I loved and uh, some of the outer limits and some of the wonder years. So it was kind of fascinating to discover the name of someone that I knew nothing about who actually scored a vast majority of my childhood. So, uh, okay, sandwiches. Um, it, it was interesting to look so deeply at something so vacuous. Uh, I, I found it completely devoid of meaning and kind of uh, mind numbing and one of the most pointless cinematic experiences I've ever had. And, uh, as someone who can't really be dazzled with ice work and uh, bottle work, the film baffled me but not in a magical, mysterious uh Paul Daniels type way, it just underwhelmed and puzzled me and I, I can't believe it's highly regarded by anyone I think if you eliminate the presence of Tom Cruise, who was on this career high run at the time I think it would have just vanished into obscurity so I think it's for Cruise completists only, that's who I would recommend it to and to quote the devilish coglin, uh, cocktail was always full of shit. And in terms of films to rewatch, anything
1: else is always something better. Wow. Patrick, can you uh, can you follow that? I mean that was uh that was pretty good.
6: I'll give it a go. Um in terms of recommending it, you know, we always try and take at least a balanced argument when we look at films or some positives from it. And I'm struggling. Um, I I do, when I was watching, I was quite enamoured with uh, Elizabeth Shue and I had a lot of respect for her um, and her performance in this film because I thought she did quite a good job with such little material that she was given and her character um, not really being given the freedom uh, to To help her performance, but um there's the positive uh you know that there, there is something in the choreography of them bottle flipping as a kind of thing of cinema when they're doing it to hippie, hippie shake. I know these are two things that matt doesn't like, but I still think there was something in that that was okay uh to watch and I was like, oh okay, this is quite cool, but um the rest of the film was bullshit um I spoke about my <laughs> my theory earlier about. Tom Cruise being like Bolt and <clears throat> just the dialogue in this film is so inane and talking of cringing and embarrassment I, I will give you an anecdote um, from when I worked on Edge of Tomorrow or at the time when we were working on it the, the working title and the script was called All You Need Is Kill, which was the original source material title. And I remember being in uh, the dropship set, and I had a few extras dotted around the, the actors. And, you know, they if you've seen the film, they've got these big mechanical suits on, uh, the exosuits, and they're strapped in before they drop onto the beach of, of France to, to fight these aliens. And something was delaying, and Cruz was in a really good mood that day. Uh, <laughs> but he kept singing this fucking song, And he kept singing, roll, roll, roll the film, shoot the fucking scene. Merrily, 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 all you need is kill. (laughs) Over and over and over again, to the point where Paxton even said to me, he goes, I wish that guy would shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) And... so there's uh, <laughs> over to you, Devlin. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I've never met Bill Paxton, so I I, I cannot top that. Nor should should I, should I even attempt to. Um, it's uh, uh, I in a way I'm a little sorry that I did this to you all. In another way, I'm huh. genuinely really happy that you have all. Uh, it's been a lot to talk about, considering as you pointed out, this film is so kind of slight and. Gossamer, thin and like nonsense. Um, it's, it's mad as fuck. <laughs> I think I would, I think I would recommend watching it just because I, if you want to see like a clusterfuck of an execution of an idea where there may have been some kernels of something good. Um, if you want to see like a, a, you know, a fairly textbook definition of what happens when too many people have too many ideas. And they try and shove them all into a thing that is, is, is supposed to be kind of breezy and it's supposed to be kind of fleet. And it is because as we said, nothing happens for more than five minutes at a time because another film is coming along. Um, so if you want to see, you know, uh, a story, I, I stand by the assertion that I think that Brian Brown is doing some kind of fun work in this. And I would like to see a different version of the film that allows him to kind of explore the, invented version of his character that we came up in our own heads with. Um, he needs somebody to play against who uh, uh, can emulate human emotion in a more accurate manner. That would have helped somebody a bit more kind of uh, um, salt, uh, salt
1: of the earth, sensitive
4: yeah. or yeah. Yeah. Somebody a little more vulnerable because Tom Cruise never really looks vulnerable because he won't allow himself to because he's, He's just too Michael ready to fight off all the. Listen. Yeah, and Michael J. Fox from Secrets of My Success would have been great. You smash these two films together, you've got an actual film. It's not going to be good. It's still going to be, you know, like pretty much bullshit, but at least it would be uh, more coherent bullshit. But I think the incoherence of this film is what I loved about it. I immediately just, I couldn't understand where we were going. And I saw, I loved that sort of love not really you don't feel like you're in safe hands in the screenplay or in the direction and we didn't talk much about roger donaldson and his very strange career that he's had but it's kind of a bit of a specialty of his like dante's peak takes some fucking bizarre turns and that's what makes that a lot of fun to watch and uh he did the same thing i mean species is also a genuine slice of madness that really shouldn't exist it's like soft porn plus Creature design from alien equals profit, I guess. So uh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, watch this. It's not that long, and you'll get to the end of it and not realise that you've got to the end of it because it doesn't feel like it should be because you haven't resolved any of the plot
1: that you watching
4: <laughs> before. So I mean, uh Gally, what would you would you say
1: that people should watch Cocktail? This is not a good film. This is a very, very bad film. But I think it does veer into So Bad It's Good in a, in a really bizarre way. And it's mainly because of how unaware it is of itself and how ridiculous every plot point is and how it develops in the story or doesn't. Tom Cruise is terrible and frankly is just miscast. But watching him struggle to portray a real human being, a blue-collar worker, seeking out the American dream while spinning a few bottles of Jim Beam, I found it super entertaining certainly the first part of the film in new york i think that has to be seen Uh, i think the the way that the story evolves and then it morphs into all these weird and wonderful directions uh so i'm gonna ironically recommend cocktail for people who who have either never seen it or (laughs) have not seen it in such a long time because i guarantee it will not be the same film that's in your brain so, for those of you that are willing to um, to go against some of our some of our our guys on the show recommendation and want to seek out cocktail currently not streaming on any on any site at the minute, certainly in the u k however you can uh, you can purchase it on YouTube and Amazon. I think on youtube it's only about two pound fifty, which is actually two pound fifty too much mm. but <laughs> Yeah, it's two fifty. I'll never see you again. Yeah, sorry, pal. I'll uh, I'll send it in the post. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. You can rent it. Do not purchase for crying out loud. I I actually went out and bought the DVD, um, which has got no extras. <laughs> A complete waste of five pound that I'll never get back. So um, and I, I there's no way if we run a competition that anyone's actually going to even enter. So I'm stuck with it now.
4: <laughs> it's literally not worth <laughs> it's the
1: fuss. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll say our we'll say our goodbyes, chaps. Uh, Tom, your sexy little smile didn't work this time. It's Gally in Glasgow mm-hmm. signing out. Stay safe out there, everybody.
4: And it's the Velvet Hammer, the Alabama Slammer. It's Devon in London. See you next time.
5: Uh, the less you pour, the more you score. It's Matt in South Korea.
4: <laughs> I'm getting
6: serious fuck me eyes. It's Patrick from London.
1: <laughs> thanks very much, guys. And thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.
2: On the left, they keep me on the right. Come and give me love all through the night. Do the one thing, ding a ling a ling. Girl, I wanna hear you sing. They gile them, dig out them, dig out them. Woo! them, I like to have fun now. They out them, dig out them, dig out them hey. girl. I wanna hear you sing. I wanna have sex on the beach. Come on.